Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. G'day legends and welcome to the Wednesday Pot Noodle by Celtic Down Under. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight are Shane, John and Sean. How are you Sean? Good yeah, just about recovered from the weekend. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, it's hot as hell but finally managed to recover my sleep after being up till 1-2am on Monday morning watching the glorious victory. How are you Shane? Yeah, Good, thanks, Jared. Similar to Sean, a little bit of uh, still in recovery mode a bit. Um, it was a uh, my couch CSC for me. I didn't uh, didn't sort of venture out to watch it, but it was still quite an early uh, uh, quite an early start to the day as opposed to a late finish to the day uh, the evening. I'll put it that way. Um, but had some DIY to do over the weekend, uh, which I'm not very good at. But it was just a really uh, unusual experience for me to to actually go to a a hardware store for a reason other than the sausage sizzle. <laughs> Got to love the bunning sausages, Australian icon thing. You can get them everywhere. And how are you, Johnny? I'm doing not bad. I'm a little bit crook, so I'm sitting here. I've got my I've got my lem sip ready to go. That's my magic cure. Um, I think it's everybody's cure, but yeah. So apart from that, not too bad. I was going to say it's your vodka and lemon or something like that, but lem sip will do. <laughs> Either yeah, or, lem, lem sip's just enough for me. Thanks. <laughs> All right, um, just uh couple of comments. G'day, Liam, uh, Juan, and Martin in the comments. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone else for tuning in, say g'day in the comments. Get involved in the conversation as we go through today's podcast. Uh, if you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Channel's growing really nicely. Uh, also got through your podcast app, subscribe. I'm there as well for the uh, Self Down Under podcast. We really appreciate all your help growing the channel. So, where do we start? That's the real question. What what's happened in the last seven days that we that could be a discussion point tonight? Hmm. I don't know. Do you have any idea, John? Uh, Rishi Sunak's comments about Northern Ireland. Gotcha. Mm, yeah, we could talk about that. No. But Liam's not here, so it kind of takes the fun away from political chat. Yeah, Shane, you got any ideas? Oh, the Australian government making some changes to superannuation. <laughs> Let's go around the room. Come on, guys. Come on, Sean. What, you got any ideas? Well, it's now March and my grass has not seen rain since December. So I'm starting to get a bit annoyed about that. Uh, I think we've covered off all the main topics, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. No, seriously, we had the... Um... <laughs> See you later, guys. Uh, that's, so, and that's the pod. 
as as everyone knows, the uh, League Cup final on uh, was it Sunday over there, Monday morning our time, just Sunday for you, Sean. Uh, what we'll do is we'll start off with um, how we how we watched the game, all of us saw it, and then um, we'll just go through the usual. If you want the deep dive on it, the main podcast that we do every every Monday on the weekend's results, Sean posts the um, the weekend review every Monday on the YouTube channel, so you can find it on there, and it's also on the um, on the podcast app. So that's where the deep dive and the real nitty gritty stuff will be spoken about. We'll just do the overview. The, we'll do the Cliff Notes version on this podcast as we gear up to the weekend's result, or the weekend's game. So that's what we'll focus on a little bit more, but. Yeah, so Shane, how how do you watch the game? Yeah, so as I mentioned in the intro, is um it was a two two a.m. kickoff here, so uh, on a Monday morning, uh, it was always going to be fraught with danger. Uh, watching this out and about, um, so I ended up uh, just tuning in, uh, coining your phrase, Jared, my couch, CSC, uh, best CSC, it's everywhere. Took the- Took the gamble of um, having a nap beforehand. I'm glad I did, but it's it's a bit of a risk for me. It's quite common for me to just sort of have the alarm go off and then just look at it and go nut and then fall back to sleep. So I'm glad I uh, I'm glad I set about five alarms, made sure I got up. Um, but uh, look, tuned in, and it was um, it was an interesting start to the game. I thought early ten minutes or so, relatively cagey. Um, seems like both teams are trying to feel each other out a little bit, trying to get into some sort of rhythm. But then the sort of game fell into a little bit of a pattern as I thought it would, in a sense that we were able to get on the ball and start knocking it around, start playing the way we usually do. So our usual kind of um, our usual rhythm, and they were sort of uh, look trying to win the ball back and and play on the counter a little bit. But um, as the game or as the first half progressed, I thought we were we were. Uh, much better, and and we were definitely on top. And uh, they they didn't really fire a shot. They had a couple of chances, but overall, I thought we dominated. And you know, went in at halftime one nil up, uh, deserved leaders to be honest. And um, you know, I felt the second half was very similar as well. They seemed we'll to be the second half. Shane, we'll get through the other boys' thoughts on the first <laughs> half. You, you don't you want me to jump ahead of the second half? Come on, you already jumped ahead on where we were. So um... oh, you what? Oh, <laughs> And Johnny, you know how you watch- I'm just going to mute myself. Here we go. One sec. And Johnny, how do you watch the game on Monday morning? Um, I watched it um, on my phone because I was on site. That's probably why I got a bit crook. But um, yeah, I, I never watched it live. I watched it immediately on the the archive, that the very good service that me and Jared use on the internet. Perfectly legal service, I might add. Um yeah, no, so I just I, I I watched it on my phone through, yeah. Um trying to find some shade just uh so the sun wasn't glaring on my phone so I could actually see the bloody thing. And then I watched um the boxing straight after. So I did heaps of work in the morning on my construction site. And Sean, how'd you watch a game? Yeah, and there was about a hundred folk in Johnny Fox's uh in Perth City. It was a pretty good atmosphere, pretty good night. Apologies to anyone that I jumped on while celebrating. Uh and thanks to everyone that was, yeah, well, I guess thanks for letting me jump on your back and celebrating with me. It was a good night, yeah. But I didn't, didn't get home till about half one, got to sleep about 2 a.m. Yeah, it was a good night. First half was, yeah, we were, it was feeling cagey. We kind of, after about 20 minutes, it kind of opened up when we started. They were pressing kind of high with about four or five bodies, and we, we were, they're kind of, a little bit on top, but then we started to find that space between their defence and midfield when Adam Moy got more involved, and that kind of turned the game around in our favour from that point. Yeah, so I did the old, as I said when I was on Axon earlier in the week, that for me it was one of those ones where I could either do what Shane did, have the nap before, run the risk of sleeping and not getting up for it, or I just went the whole record the game, Social media blackout, leave my phone in the bedroom, get up first thing on Monday morning, watch the game before going to work. So that's what I did. So it was like I was still watching it live. So i got to give a shout-out to my wife for uh, not spoiling the result for me. First thing I said to her when I woke up was, I don't want to know the score, don't even tell me anything, no no reaction, nothing. And then I've gone for, gone to the loo, feed the dog. Apparently she was like celebrating, going, yeah, and all sorts of stuff while I was out of the house. So good fun. But yeah, like as you guys have said, first half it was first ten or so minutes was a little little bit all over the place. Like both teams trying to settle into the game, 
then yeah, we were the better team and we we're just building with like at the forty minute mark it was like you could tell the goal was coming. It was a just a matter of time and yeah, to go into the break at half half time up one nil was uh just just deserved. Good result there. So um Johnny, what was your take first half? Because we didn't get it out of you. Anything you wanted to single out? Oh, first half, God, from what I could see um, from my tiny wee phone. Um, yeah, like I, I I, think overall, and first half especially, we just, the score flattered them very much. I think we we dominated a lot of the game. Um, I thought I thought the goal was well worked. Yeah, I thought it was a very well worked goal. Um, I think somebody's made a comment on social media that Kyogo is the best striker we've had since Larson, which I think... You know, no matter how you feel about that, he's he's certainly one of our best strikers we've had in a long time. And that, you know, that first goal was highlights that for me. And on that point, though, we could quickly dive into that for a second. If you look at it and you go, who would be the best strikers we've had since Larson? And for me, looking at that, it's basically a conversation between Kyogo, Edward, Dembele, Griffiths, Hooper. They're the only guys you could talk about, the five of them, who'd be the best since, in my opinion, anyway. And, yeah, Kyogo has got to be up there. For me, I probably would have said, just because of how long he was at the club and what he did, Edward would have been would have been my tip before Kyogo came to the club. But Kyogo, we haven't missed Edward when we sold him with Kyogo coming in. So, yeah. Uh, statistically, you would say Lee Griffiths has been the best statistically. He's had that 40-goal season. Uh, but yeah, I'd, if you're saying better player, probably Edward. If you're saying better striker, probably Dembele. Because if we'd had peak Dembele, they'd probably scored more than 40. Um, but we did have Pete Griffiths and he did score 40. So it's, there's no clear answer there, I don't think. Yep. It's a good discussion to have, though. It's the sort of thing you'd you'd have the pre-game or whatever, or post-game in a pub with a couple of pints just um, celebrating the results. So that's the sort of conversation there. So let us know your thoughts in the comments. Who is our best striker since uh, Henrik Larsson left the club? So we'll jump into the second half. Shane, back to you. What, is it final thought time? No, I'm only mucking around. <laughs> I'm a little bit sheepish now. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna make sure I listen in and tread carefully. So um then I've lost my train of thought. I was just a little train going through then and I've I've lost it. Anyway, um look, I thought second half started and continued similar on to the first half. Uh they seem to be pressing a bit higher up to try and get an equalizer early on. And uh, I felt we didn't really get disrupted in any capacity. And um, that second goal um, was just a wonderfully well-worked goal. And, you know, credit to Calmac for the pass to find Moy. Moy, who uses just um, a little shimmy to get some space and then smartly plays it to Hatate, who then takes the time to look up and square it to Kyogo. It was just wonderfully well-worked. And if you want to go back a bit further, credit to Starfelt for actually getting involved and, and winning the ball back from the loose pass into midfield. I think he won it back from in front of Tillman or Sakala maybe and then laid it off to Kalmak and that kind of started the move. And uh, I honestly thought at that point we were we were done. We were home. Um, and, um, you know, they, they weren't really creating much, particularly in that second half. And, you know, then they got the free kick and um, a bit of a mess defensively and, and they get um, a, a goal from it. Morales scores, um, did his best not to, but ended up putting it in the back of the net. And then for sort of 10 to 15 there, they, they kind of had a little bit of a buzz about them. They started to threaten a little bit more. Um, we conversely also looked a bit sloppy as well uh, with the ball. Uh, Taylor was giving it away a little bit. Uh, Starfelt, of course, and even Calmac uncharacteristically gave the ball away and then uh, quickly retrieved it as he always does. But, and this was what comes up next is probably the most pleasing thing for me is that we were able to arrest that momentum and very quickly, um, you know, get back on top in the game again. And in that last or final 10 minutes, it looked like we had control. And that's a pretty big thing to be able to have that significant shift in momentum, but for us to be able to change it, I don't think they blew it. We simply got control back. Um, and that was remarkable. And, you know, in the end, there were a couple of chances late. Haxabanovich could have had a brace. Uh, O'Reilly, you know, produced a pretty decent save out of McGregor. You know, we could have 
run away with this in the end, um, you know, 4-1 or even 5-1 if you want, and probably would have been reflective of the, the dominance of the game. But look, it wasn't to be and it didn't have to be. Um, overall, we were the much better team and prevailed on on the day. Yeah, I just looked at it and go, yeah, as you said there, like we knew coming out at the start of the second half that we were going to be having a crack at us. So I thought we did well to get that early goal. And then you think, okay, we can breathe, we can relax. And then we had that, you know, that absolute cluster of a of a mistake at the uh, corner, not corner, the free kick, sorry. And, um, yeah, they score. But at the end of the day, like, it was it was funny, though, because I uh, got a comment here, which was Haxel was unlucky with the two chances in the last five minutes. So, like, I tipped 4-1 going into it, and it could have easily been that. We missed them. But the fact of the matter is, in the last five, ten minutes, including the stoppage time, we looked like we were the team more likely to score, even though we we're trying to wind the clock down. And it was good that, okay, we got the lead through playing our normal style and and beating them, beating them up in the middle of the park, keeping our defense solid and taking our chances going forward, even though we we're worse or a little wasteful. But at the same time, for me, I'm looking at it going, we then managed to flip the script and win ugly, maintain that lead and hold it out for 20-odd minutes or whatever it was and win ugly. We haven't done that under Ange in a long time. So it's good to see that we can win games by just pure skill, but we can win games by having, you know, the the mental fortitude to go out there, stick to the task and focus and stay locked in and, and grind games out. That's the sort of thing we're going to need to see next season more in Champions League. So it's good to see that that's the start of it. But, Sean, was your take on the second half? Yeah, we – yeah, as you're talking about, we had those – if you chuck in Matt O'Reilly's uh, chance as well, we had those three big chances. Uh, I had 2-1 on my coupon and I chose not to cash out even even when we were kind of pressing at the end. And so I was happy in that sense, but I was also sad that we missed. I would, I would rather have um, more goals against Sevco than have $80 in my bank account. Uh Sound as weird as that sounds, um, but yeah, I, I didn't ask Shane's advice this time, I just kept it. Um, yeah, the my, my Aaron Moy obviously is well, Callum McGregor, first of all, is really the, the most crucial player for that third, uh, the second goal. Uh, when he kind of takes on three players in the midfield and threads it to Moy, who plays it through to Hitati. So, McGregor and Moy were both absolutely key, the three midfielders were for that second goal. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh, do we score those two goals if Matt O'Reilly's starting? And then I don't think you could make a strong argument for Matt O'Reilly playing the through ball, the, the through balls that Moy played for both those goals. But one thing that did occur to me was that at the goal we concede, that Matt O'Reilly absolutely does not get pushed off the ball, uh, does not get caught underneath it like Aaron Moy does. So I think Adam, uh, Matt O'Reilly is way undervalued as a player defending set pieces in the air and I think we don't concede that goal if Matt O'Reilly's on the pitch. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts. Having Aaron Moy, you know, I think in the end Aaron Moy kind of shades it in that sense. But yeah, it was good, exciting, great result. So i got a comment here for you, Sean, from one Douglas. Balls are still not cashing out. <laughs> I think I was just more engrossed in the game, to be honest, than thinking about it. Because I'd checked the cash out at like 60 minutes and it was not anything worth cashing out on. And then after that, I was just engrossed in the game and barely thinking about it. So I've got a couple of comments here before we go to you, John. So Vinny says, Sefco had some big chances, hit the post in the side netting. But then at the same time, then you got Seamus Gallagher 2-1 drubbing. And... Then you got Liam O'Connor going, we could add four or five with these. So realistically, our misses at the end, their misses pretty much cancelled each other out in the in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, it was a interesting thing there. But John, you get to wrap the game coverage up on the um overall thing before we talk about a couple of actual players and a couple well, of other things. I very much agree with everyone's comments. Um and their analyses. I think the only the only thing I'd like to add to it is I think this was potentially a slightly more uh, well it was a big game, but it might have more of an impact than than I realised beforehand. I think both teams have been pretty much on the same form going into the into the final, so I think this 
really would have had a big psychological impact on either team to have, who would have lost. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that the gap in the league growing, um, probably through like draws here and there, or maybe the one shock loss or something like that. But I really think they they thought that they were, you know, at our level. I, I did, and that the points were semantics. And if they had beaten us, I think they would have. I think they thought they would have had a really good chance of getting the league. And I just think that's Touchwood, a complete given now. So, um, yeah, I, I think the gap's probably going to grow because I think that that, like I say, both teams were on the similar form going in, and it was very much who's the better team type of type of win type of game. So, yeah, but. Yeah, you know the the only thing I could have said as well for that like performance wise was there was probably about ten minutes after their goal or whatever it was, where um, they you know had us on the back for a little bit, but we dominated, we dominated, we had control of the game. So yeah, four or five could have happened. Like I said before, flattering for them sort of thing. On the topic of the four or five that were <clears throat> putting forward here, uh, do you think that? Those missed chances are down to the fact that we don't, we're not used to playing a counter attacking style of football. We don't really get many chances on the counter attack. Uh, is it is it down to that? Is it down to uh, not being used to that style of play? Uh, is that going to be a disadvantage going into Europe next year? We're wasteful doing that in Europe this year, Sean, if you think exactly. about it. I think, yeah, I think no, maybe. I, you go. Yeah, you sorry. Go. No, I, I, I completely agree. It's a really good topic to talk about i think that's where we should we should be trying to strengthen that part of our game for europe because we're never going to get the type of we're never going to get the type of possession that we get in the league in europe so we need to understand how to do car and tech and football or better yeah. to an extent so yeah yeah I think, I, I, think, right, I think maybe the haksabanovich chances maybe it just particularly the first one where he sort of was bearing down on goal and kind of you know held back and sort of wasn't too sure what to do and eventually we got a shot off that forced McGregor into a save maybe because they just I felt he probably wasn't as direct as he could have been there the O'Reilly one seemed more technique he probably needs to hit that with his um with his right instead of his left um uh and then the last Haksabanovich one that just shaded the that just shaded the post so I don't know I, I feel like do you put down that as sort of skills because we haven't been very good at it or was it just the kind of heat of the moment that end of the game running they're not really running on empty but you can tell we're heading towards the final whistle it's I don't know it's a really bad answer to your question but I don't know <laughs> okay so what we'll do is um there's two other little comments I wanted to make that tie in so it's gonna sound weird it's so great to not be talking about VAR after a derby and a cup final after everything that's happening. So I just wanted to bring that up because that was one thing we said last week, like what time's VAR going to get involved in the game? When's the Rangers penalty going to happen? And VAR didn't get involved for that to happen. So I'm absolutely wrapped with that. One thing I want to say is Nick Walsh as a referee, I thought he did a fairly decent job. Um, instead of letting guys like Lundstrom kick lumps out of our players three or two or three times and then giving him a, a warning and then giving him a card after that, he was bang on the card straight away. He gave out 10 yellow cards in the game. So it showed that he was like, this is how the game's going to be called. And he was consistent with the cards I thought that he gave out in the certain situations across the, the, the length of the game. So if I'm the sort where I normally pick at the refs and tell them how hopeless they are, I just have to come out and say when they do a, a somewhat decent job, actually do things correctly the way they're supposed to be done, I have to bring it up and say, yeah, it was good to see that. Yeah, I think two of them were for, two of the cards were for dissent and probably about six of them or something were for professional fouls. I don't remember the actual numbers. So that's why a lot of them came at the end when people were getting kind of desperate and tired. But I'd go even further than what you said, Jared. I would say that uh, Rangers youth coach um, Nick Walsh actually had uh, a very good game, uh, beyond decent, and that it was good to see that Bell so loyal Rangers supporter John Beaton not get involved, not have anything to get get his sticky wick in. So it was good in that sense. Yeah, it's um, it was yeah, I was saying it was good to see, and you know, you said two for dissent six for professional fouls or whatever it was, and one for the most crazy of crazy eyes I've seen in a long time, Alistair Johnson. You guys see that? <laughs> yeah. No wonder, no wonder Colac dacked it, like, you know, 
shut his pants and disappeared. Like, seriously, when you see him and you look in the eyes, I was kind of like, yeah, just bugging out. I was like, yeah, that makes that, you know, Bruni's distant stare that he'd give you. I think we've got a new guy with a crazy stare in the team, <laughs> our, our, our Canadian boy. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, good to see. We, we all, we've all played football with someone like that at some point that's like this friend, friendly, happy, shy guy off the pitch. And then as soon as they go on, they're just focused beast. And it's like, <laughs> white line just become fever. a different person. Yep. Good old white line fever. <laughs> anyway. Um, so before we uh, crack on to the next couple of topics, I go through some comments here. So Vinny Kyogo is a proven big game player. I was hoping Liam was on so that we could, you know, get him to just wax lyrical about his guy from Japan. Uh, wrong comment there. Vinny, also, Kyogo is on track for 40. And then we've got some responses here too when I asked who the best striker since uh, Larson is. So Vanessa McCormick, Robbie Kane, although he was only here for a few months, I'm not counting him or any lone players because we didn't actually own them. They weren't our player, but yeah, I get your point. Uh, then Andrew Reid, Dembele was the best in my opinion, but wasn't with us long enough, unfortunately. Liam O'Connor, best striker, so many to choose from, but Lee Griffiths from National and Odson Edward International. And then we've got Two goals in both cup finals from Kyogo. How can he not be the most exciting striker since Larson? And many of his other goals to maybe reach over 30 this year. So on that, Kyogo was the first player since the 1950s to have back-to-back braces in cup finals. So that shows the level of talent and what he's doing at the moment. And one last comment here. Colin Salt, how how from Cologne, a very rare opportunity this morning to be watching live. Great show and a great time to be a Tim wherever you are in the world. Find yourself in the world. Cologne was one of the love it. Cologne was probably one of the best Celtic away trips I've ever had in my life. I think that's one of the, the best cities in Germany. And I thoroughly enjoyed the beer, obviously. Yeah. Beer there's Cologne amazing. Beer is brilliant. Yeah. So uh yeah, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. And uh yeah, we'll get on to it. So we're talking, I think it was you, Sean, mentioned about Callum McGregor before and his impact leading into that second goal. So a quote from him was, we did our talking on the pitch in regards to all the absolute bollocks that was getting spoken in the media and the lead up to the game. So what we want to do is we want to discuss Callum McGregor's style of captaincy and why it works so well for the Celtic team. So, Sean, what are your thoughts on that? On his style as a leader. Um, so he was obviously a lot more circumspect when um, Scott Brown was there, which is understandable in a sense because there's not many bigger personalities in a room than Scott Brown. So, you know, there's not there's only so much oxygen to go around. Uh, but since Scott Brown has left, he's came up and filled in the less aggressive roles that Scott Brown did in the terms of being... Uh, the leader in training, uh, the leader on the pitch, the it, some of the stuff that Ange Postacoglu is saying where he's never even seen the inside of the changing room at Lennox Town. So it sounds like Callum McGregor is absolutely the manager of the team uh, in terms of the personalities and making sure people are doing the right things. And that is a, an outstanding thing to have. Uh, if your version of that is a serial loser who plays at fullback and puts uh, comments and program notes about not being able to beat other teams because blah, 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 then that's not a good look. But uh, McGregor, as you said, keeps... does When he goes to do the media thing, he just ticks all the boxes. He says all the things he's been trained to say. But then when he goes on, you see him when he's in the huddle, it's much more, that's where his real personality is coming out. But, but I feel like every time someone comes in that door, he's probably doing the Scott Brown thing, being the first person on the phone, making sure everyone's welcome at the club, letting everyone know what it means to be at Celtic. Not not like the whole, not just the history thing, like maybe a little bit of that, but more about this is where we are now. This is what our standards are. This is our expectations. And history is probably only just a small part of that, to be honest. I think he's just really focused and driven on the now. And when you hear his post-match and they ask him, like, oh, how many medals is that now? And he literally didn't know. He didn't even know the answer. 
Like, I think uh, our most medals is Bobby Lennox, who's 25. Callum McGregor's now on 17. So he's got eight more to go if he wants to be the most successful ever. At age 29, that's very possible. Uh, but honestly, the fact that he didn't even know was very impressive to me. Just off the back of that, Sean, like what you're saying, and you mentioned, like, there was the stories of like the Japanese boys. When Kyogo came in, I had to do hotel quarantine that he was getting daily phone calls from Kelmac. Cal- then there's other players have said similar things in interviews too since they've come in. And when you look at our locker room, yeah, you get Kelmac coming in and these are our standards. This is what we're about. This is what we're going to achieve and this is how we're going to go about it. And he runs that dressing room. But he'd have some very good lieutenants there. And they don't have to be screamers because of modern footballers, you don't really need the screamer. You need that strong leader who knows and takes the way. So you've got him, but then you've also got someone who knows the club inside out in James Forrest. And then you've got Joe Hart in there with you as well. And I'm sure there's a couple others I'm missing out there. Like Aaron Moy doesn't say boo, but he's a lead by example and his and his actions sort of thing. So you've got a fair few guys. Like Carter Vickers would be the same. Starfeld, I think, would be a bit of a leader. Then you've got Ralston in there as well. So you've got a bunch of guys there who it kind of when you think about it, the way they go about it and the way they prepare and they lead by example reminds me a lot of the Martin O'Neill era, where a lot of those guys went on to become captains elsewhere. And uh, James Forrest wasn't even in the, the squad for the weekend. I think he's won more trophies than Callum McGregor, and now he can't even get in our squad. So like, I'll check the numbers in a minute and come back to you, but that says a lot about our squad strength as well. Johnny, we'll throw to you. What's your thoughts on it all? Um, I think uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Sean's comments. I, I think Callum... Um, it was quiet when uh, Bruni was around and, and now he's definitely grown massive. I always thought he was going to be a great man, a great captain. I, I called it before he got appointed and stuff. And um, I think what he, I think he's the type of captain that leads by example though. He's, I don't, I think he does all the, I think he does all the talking. We can, we see it, right? We see, you see all that sort of like gene people up and stuff for the game. But I think more than anything, he's not somebody to go around and start barking orders. And you, you don't really see that. Well, he, he, he's more that, you know that pendulum, right? So he, he's just he's just helping the momentum, and that's and that and then allowing the rest of the team and all of their talent and brilliance around them just to go ahead and shine. So he's that type of captain. He's not somebody that wants to be the center of the spotlight. He's more like facilitating everybody else and and all of their talents. And that's what just in life, that's a good leader, right? So yeah, I I, I also he was going to be great, and it's it's good to see that he's he's getting stronger and stronger into that role and stuff. So I think he very much, like from what you're saying, Sean, I think he could be the the most decorated captain for sure. If, if I'm reading, well, Billy McNeil's on 23 in terms of captains. Um, if I'm reading this right, James Forrest is on 20, but would be 21 if he gets a medal for the weekend there. But he wasn't mm. in this, he's played in two previous rounds, but not played in the final, not in the bench for the final. I'm does that qualify him for a medal? I'm not sure. You'll get one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that puts more, James, James Forrest. One. Yes, he'll get one. Yeah. So 21 then, I think uh, James Forrest would be on. I think James Forrest is coming towards the end of his career anyway, to be honest. I reckon James Forrest will eventually end up in the in the youth academy. That's just my gut feel. Because of the but size again? Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. He'll be the guy, you know, moving the wall around and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Shane, you got anything you want to add about this? I think you guys have summed it up pretty well. Um, when you think of good leaders and you only need to look back, you know, each of us can look back through our respective lives and think of people that we've looked up to and our leaders and, and you know, what makes a good leader? Well, leading by example, which you boys touched on uh each of you very well humble he's a very humble guy you know he's not in it for the limelight he's not looking to count the trophies as you you boys indicated he supports you you know sean's example of him calling the japanese boys and checking in with them and and jared you mentioned obviously him at lennox town basically taking charge of everything you know um you know they they teach you things, you know, your leaders actually big you up and build you up and he wants to see others grow in and around him. These are all the things a good leader does and he ticks all those boxes and many more. And the leading by example uh, on the pitch, if you think about the way he is, you know, he is that kind of fulcrum on the pitch. He does all the the, the little things. He does the, 
the dirty things, if you want to call it that, as well as, you know, being able to do what he did on the weekend, which is literally to play that ball in, which then sets up a goal. And that's your leader who, you know, doesn't shirk responsibility and he's never shirked responsibility. So you put all those attributes together and you've got a good modern day leader. Like I said, he definitely ticks all those boxes and many more. So I'm going to um, wrap this up with my my last thought on this topic and then we'll go to some comments here. But we're discussing Cal Mack on Axe when on, on, I was on a Monday, right? And we we're talking about him. And that's where I started thinking about this. And for me, the type of player, the way he goes about it, not being the massive screamer, not being the most overly expressive player, going being able to play multiple positions, being able to play defensive, being able to play attacking, being able to hold like play the eight, multiple things and just doing whatever is needed for the team and being that pretty much that one club player come through the youth academy has been in the first team, 400 games, all that. I look at this and Cal Mack has all those ticks, all those same boxes that what made me love Paul McStay so much as my first Celtic icon and hero at the club when I was a fan as a kid. He's ticking a lot of those same boxes to me that I see Cal Mack as a modern-day Paul McStay in this current squad with the role he plays, the leadership at the club. The only difference is there's a hell of a lot more trophies in Cal Mack's back pocket than what McStay got. So that's mm-hmm. – um, there we go. And Colin Salt said the same thing. Callum is a Paul McStay-type captain. Scott was a Roy Aiken type. Show him AJ. There you go. Perfect. Singing from the same hymn sheet, mate. There you go. So we'll get some um, comments here. So Vinny, I heard Ange talk about Callum to his boys as he is more than just a Celtic player. He breeds Celtic and Ange speaks about him like as he likes, as like he represents the history and status of this amazing club. And then Liam O'Connor, Joe Hart has said there's a core of four or five players to help the team. Got another one here from, I don't know, Gordon Yourself. I probably completely butchered your name. Callum is a great captain as he is honest, hardworking, and has great guys, also leaders like himself in the dressing room, e.g. Hart and CCV. And then you've got Antonius has commented, you see Calmac laying down what is expected and where the focus needs to be in the Celtic huddle before match kickoff, 100%. So I think it's great that we've gone from Bruni, who I thought was going to be a massive loss at the club, to go and see um, Calmac come into his element and the player that he is. It's just great to see. Yeah, and you can hardly call him a shrinking violet when he's chasing down players and calling them uh, swear words that I'm not going to say, <laughs> so you don't have to tick the expletive. I do anyway, because, you know, I kind of have to, because <laughs> I'm on the pod. <laughs> There's a chance I might I might drop something later in the pod, Sean, so anyway. <laughs> um, but the rules on, on that anyway with YouTube, as long as we don't drop any of those main words in the first five minutes and there's no swearing in the first 90 seconds, we're good. Well, it begins with S and rhymes with white bag. all right so we'll go to our next topic which is Ange Postacoglu talking about his long-term plan for his time at Celtic so it's a long-ass quote I could read the whole thing if you want but it will take me ages because I'm not the quickest reader but um, just we all know he's basically saying he's going to be at the club for a while and he's still building things and you know we've all seen it so the talk on that. Now, I'm going to throw to you first, Shane, because you've you've seen Ange at close quarters, being victory member, and going to Socceroos games and all this sort of stuff over here. Knowing Ange's history in the game, that he tends to stay three, four years at each of his previous roles. Do you see this this Celtic job for him being Ange's legacy piece in the game, given that it took him so long to get a job in Europe? Does that make sense? Yeah, you're basically saying when we all look back on time, is this going to be his crowning achievement? Essentially, that's that's how I yeah, and where he's going to spend the most time in his career and build the biggest legacy, win the most medals, all that sort of stuff. That's what. Yep, uh, I get the question, and yeah, I I tend to agree. I I think it will be, and um, and I think part of the reason for that is that he will spend the longest time at Celtic. So obviously. You know, just to give a bit of backstory to those, and I'm sure people who tune in regularly know that that 
Ange has a long history in the game uh, in Australia, obviously prior to even the A-League days down at South Melbourne. But just focusing on the A-League time, he was there at Brisbane. He was building a team, um, obviously came down to Melbourne Victory, you know, and started that process of of clearing out players and starting to put in the team that he wanted to uh, and to, to play the way he wanted to. And he probably would have been at victory for, you know, three or four years as well. But then the Australia job came knocking. And, um, you know, when the, the Socceroos job comes knocking, it's, it's, um, you just can't say no to that. And so that project kind of transitioned to there and exactly the same thing happened. He cleared out all the older existing players and then started to bring in the younger players, implement his style. Um, eventually moved on from the Socceroos job in... Um, you know, unusual circumstances. We won't go into them here, but it probably wasn't as cut as dry, cut and dry as people maybe think or thought at the time. Um, I think that's come definitely come to light later on. Um, was it Yokohama doing exactly the same thing? So you've got this pattern of where he goes and said, "This is how I want to play. This is what I want to do. This is the, this is how I can get there." But there's just something about him being at Celtic and the lure of being able to build a team that can compete in Europe and consistently compete in Europe. And, and you know, he said that from day dot. His goal is not just a team that just makes it into the Champions League or qualifiers, it's a, or even on and off. It's about making that a consistent thing. You know, we're always in the Champions League. We're always qualifying. We're always pushing further. And I think as long as he's got people at the club who back his vision and want to invest in what he's doing... I actually can't see him moving on in the next couple of years unless something really massive was to come up where they turned around and said, we want you and you're a guy and we're going to do everything we can. So really, I can see him staying at Celtic for a very long time. I think when the dust settles, this will be his uh, most prolific uh, period as a manager in the game. I'll bring up a few comments before we go to you, Sean. So, We've got one here. Ange basically confirmed he's going new, nowhere as we kind of knew. Vinny, Wolf of Wall Street movie quote, he ain't effing leaving. Vass, I think Ange will spend a long time at Celtic, but it won't be his final destination. Yeah, I agree. I think he's got a couple of things that, you know, on the bucket list that he'd love to do if they came up. So we'll get that. Vinny, maybe if Pep from City goes, but hopefully not anytime soon. So for me, I look at it and I'm like, just to touch on what Shane's pretty much said, everything I was going to say, the only roles I could see him leaving us for at the moment would be a big continental club, whether that's like a a Barcelona, a Real Madrid, a Bayern Munich, or the next tier down. I don't think he'd go to Italy, to be honest with you, because the style of play in Italy isn't really the way he likes to play. But... Thinking about it, if he was to go down the road to England, there's probably two jobs down there, maybe three, that would give him a, a clubs that would allow him the time that he needs and allow him to play his style. So, yeah, as as it was said there by Vinny, if Pep left at City, he's got all the City group links. That would be somewhere he'd go. Tottenham would be the sort of club that he'd come in as like a Pochettino type there and be given the time to build his program and build it up and do something because that's one of the clubs that doesn't really fire their managers really quick in the Premier League. But his ultimate dream job, if it opened up, was if Jurgen Klopp retired tomorrow and he was offered the Liverpool job, he'd be gone. But he wouldn't be like Brendan Rodgers, like like a thief in the night, moving straight away. He'd sign for the following season, see out the year. That's the way he just tends to operate. But other than that, I don't really see him jump at any time. But, Sean, what's your thoughts? Oh, you guys have covered it pretty well, to be honest. Um, I see on the transfermarket.com that his average spell as a coach is uh, just over three years. Uh, He's been here for one and a half, uh, so you could argue he's halfway through. I would like to think that if he does leave in a year and a half's time, that he's basically reshaped the infrastructure of the club and it will have minimal impact and maybe even John Kennedy could step up but you know he's now at a point where he can pretty much do whatever he wants and be here as long as he wants to be and the only thing really left for him to prove is Europe um, and I think that he probably feels the same way. The question is just whether he's going to have a third or fourth you know is he going to do what Rodgers did and chuck it after a third crack at Europe or is he going to 
even if he doesn't succeed as much as he could? Or is he going to, even if he does succeed, is he going to try and improve even beyond that in a fourth stint at Europe? Uh, He's got the squad so well drilled and so well rounded that it's going to be a one in one out from now on. And the squad should have enough quality to maintain domestic dominance, whether that's just winning the league or whether it's winning a treble and anywhere in between. But as you say, his challenge is probably to rebuild infrastructure and to challenge in Europe going forward. That's that's the way I see it. But I totally agree with what you guys are saying about top 20 club in Europe would be the only thing that would kind of tempt them for now. And Tottenham is, sounds like probably the right thing. And yep. yeah, that sounds about the right kind of... He's not going to go for Burnley or Bournemouth, you know. Or West Ham, yeah. Yeah. So before we go to you, Johnny, uh, Andrew Galea has mentioned Ange hasn't really spent any money yet. His ins and outs even up. Maybe the board might give him 10 million for a key player. So... Touching on what you're saying there, Sean, one in, one out. I've mentioned that the two key spots, I think, for us to make the step up in Europe next year is either we need to either upgrade our goalkeeper or we need to get a quality number 10 for Europe. Those are the two spots, are priorities in my opinion. Are they going to give him that money to go and do that? I actually don't think, Angie, if he was given $10 million for a player, I don't even think he'd spend 10 He'd probably go, okay, no. what's the Jota route, $6 million. Top sort of thing, six, seven million. He just gets someone that he can mold and develop because he tends to like younger players that he can do that. That with so he's got so much faith from the Celtic fans that they could probably crowdfund a ten million pound player at this stage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, for sure. And Johnny, I think it'd be a shame if he went to a team like Tottenham. To be honest, I think that's my personal feelings about Tottenham. To be honest, but I mean Liverpool for sure. I can see it. I'd, I agree with you. I'll I, I tell you something. See, after the rat left and the manner in which he did, and in even, I think everybody's shocked the way that KT left as well in, during the turn in a row and stuff. I, I just, I can no longer say to myself, this isn't going to happen for X amount of time or he's never leaving or blah, 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 because it's football and stuff changes all the time, right? So who knows? Clock could get fired tomorrow and, and Liverpool could come knocking and that's him gone. Do you know what I mean? That's, it's, it's, it could happen. So, um, I, I, I like his. I like how he is, though he has a, a long-term plan. I think that's really important, and I think we're all right in saying that. I think that's probably the way that he wants to implement it is in Europe, right? And I think if he got Celtic to where Ajax was a couple of years ago when they got through to the semi-final, I think that would he would probably feel. I'd feel mission accomplished, right? That's like a. I think that we. I think we're really pushing the signal in there as far as like how much our league generates and stuff and the sort of players that we can attract and stuff but i think that's where it is like semi-final champions league would just be an absolute dream in you know just for today's champions league sort of thing or even even winning the europa league would be huge as well that's actually an extremely difficult task nowadays so something like that would be would be fantastic so um, but i'd probably see that i i would imagine that's what he's thinking as well um but you know so that's 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 pretty much about you know Vinny, yeah. you're drunk, mate. Yeah, I mean, uh, we all dream, but <laughs> that's where it stays. Come, um, come on, Johnny. He's not going. He's not going. Ange yeah, is not going mate. anywhere. Have that faith. Have that faith. Set in yourself Liam, up. For Liam O'Connor, <laughs> what type of contract is he on? Rolling year to year, yeah. So he's on that. I think we need yeah. to give him the Rogers contract. Right. He's made he's made his point. This is what I'm on. I'm not going anywhere. Give him the big deal. Give him the five-year deal. But like, yeah. look, just on on the comment that we're making about the type of players that he's buying, I think that I think that will probably change, and I think that was probably more of a symptom. Well, a couple of things: the leagues that he knows, where the market is just you get way more for a lower price. But I also think that uh, all the comments and stuff wasn't a transition year. I get all that, but he very much had. Uh, sort of shackles in the sense that we had just shipped everybody and there was a there was a finite budget so he had to find a level for the budget that he had so I wouldn't be surprised now that you're saying it is one in one out and all that stuff that we might spend in the region of Edward type of numbers maybe not immediately but I wouldn't be shocked if we spent like 10 like 9 10 11 million on, on one player that's just like Christ wow here we go so yeah we'll see I might be wrong all right, so what we'll do is the next thing I, I had on the list, I'm going to leave for next week when Liam's on. So we'll jump ahead. The um, Asian Cup dates have been confirmed for 2024. 
So we've got, uh, what have they got here? January 12th to February 10th in Qatar. So Celtic will probably lose five players minimum across the Japanese, Australian and Korean squads. So looking at that, we've got our five Japanese guys. Kyogo, you'd think, would be in the Japanese team, along with Maeda and Hitate. Kobayashi and Awada, who knows how they'll shape up for it. Then you've got Moy, if he's still with us. Would he sign a two-year deal or a one-year deal? What was it, Shane? You should know these things. Two-year deal, so he'll still be our player then. So he'll be in the Australian squad. And then you're going to have O will be, should be in the Korean squad as well. So there's five there, potentially more if the other Japanese boys are, are there and whatever else we sign. So looking at it, they're going, that's, you know, well, we'll be coming back off the winter break then and then players will be away for, what is it, almost a month. Uh, going to be an interesting time next uh, next January, early Feb for our squad to uh, thing there. But as Willie said in our group chat, don't worry, we'll be miles ahead in the league by that point anyway and the league will be wrapped up, so play the kids. To, to try and be positive about it, um, if it starts on the 12th, then we'll probably get to keep them for the derby on January 1st, 2nd, whatever day they play that before the players go away. Another positive is in Qatar, so it's only two hours, the hours time difference, depending on your season. And February 10th, well, the other thing is when you come back from the winter break, assuming we go back to a normal schedule, uh, we'll have the first round of the Scottish Cup on the run about January 21st, whenever that kind of is the game we come back to. And that's usually a, a game against somebody like Aloha or somebody like that. So the, the first real competitive game should theoretically be the end of January. So you're looking at two or three games max if they go to the all the way to the finals. So it's hard to, you know, just try to be positive, but otherwise it is a, a little bit of a concern. Couple of comments here. Andrew Galea leaves us with no striker. Come on, we've got Johnny Kenny and um there's others, Joey Dawson. We'll be right. A badder. He'll be up front. A badder. Yep. And then Juan Douglas. Yep. If you have more than five players away, you can can you postpone matches? You can. Apparently you can. So that's something four. else that we'll be able to do. Yeah, the rule is four. But yeah. I think we've we've avoided doing that in the past. We it could just get on on Europe as well, Sean. Like, yep. if we're out of Europe, for mm-hmm. instance, then, yeah, we may just push games back because it's not going to be an issue. But if we're in Europe, we're still going to have to play those games because we can't push them back, mm-hmm. but we can push back league games. So you'd play your – so it's all going to depend on Europe, how we want to tackle it. And if we've got a small squad because so many guys are away, we've got to play in Europe. You could potentially bring someone in loan on January to cover that for those European games as a striker, but then – you know, and still play those games. And then when everyone gets back, you've got four strikers, which is a slight issue, but I don't know, yeah, it could be done. I think the most, if it was tomorrow, the most likely scenario would be that Abada would play up front and that would be that. Um, the other option is we can just get Tony Watt in on loan. I think he, he's keen to do that sort of thing. No, I was going to say, we're still on Albion a Yeti. Oh, yeah. Albion a Yeti will be back. He's not Asian. There you go. That, that, that sorts it out. I had to say that just to see the, see if the comments were going to blow up or not. How have we still got him on the bloody team? Still got um, Ismail Soro, I think, as well. Yep. Yep. So Jeez, I forgot he existed. And, uh, and Barky. Barky. Don't forget Barky. Yeah. Who's having a good season, apparently. yesterday or on the weekend? Did I say what? They were playing a cup game in Holland, and they did a they did a Darvel Aberdeen Darvel game and lost to some <laughs> low ass team in their league. I mean, they came out and said they couldn't afford Vasilis Barkas. How are we charging him any money to take his wages <laughs> off? <laughs> like, can we pay the money? Yeah, it's like no, no, you've you've misunderstood. We're going to give you the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take him off our wage bill. <laughs> with this here I just realised um, Antonius's comment you have to declare your UCL squad before the comp starts uh, but then when, no, when the transfer not... window opens then it changes so because that's during the transfer, January transfer window it actually means oh, Europe will start back until February will it 
you're allowed to make three changes in the January transfer window to your Champions League squad. And during the qualifying rounds, you're allowed to make, oh, I, I think you're allowed to make one sign-in between rounds or something like that. I can't remember. the, the qualifiers, yeah. Yeah, in the qualifiers. So in the chance Champions League squad submission is after the August window closes. So yeah, that's the kind of rule. So when the transfer window closes, that's pretty much when you do your squads. And then in January, you're allowed to make three changes. Fair enough. Well, you know, that's a long way down the road. So we'll uh, we'll get back into the current state of affairs for us. Celtic versus St. Mirren on Sunday in the SPFL. Best part about that is it's actually on the same day in both Scotland and over here. It's 11 p.m. for us on a Sunday night. You beauty. So I was at 8 p.m. for you, Sean. Yep, and public holiday the next day too. Oh, oh, Sean's going to be on the loose unit. <laughs> okay, you're Johnny Foxes and you run into Sean, um, you know, just <laughs> I'll put him home safe, get him into a cab or an Uber or something, or else he'll probably be passed out in the corner. I, I, won't, be, I won't, won't be driving, put it that way. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, Sunnies on the Monday review. <laughs> I want to see the carnage from all the boys over in Perth on that. And uh, Mooney, yeah. who was on with us last week, he's going to be switching from this pod to the Monday one for the next three months because of our uh, university stuff. So he'll be on with Sean and, you know, Anthony and Paul and Tommy over on, over on the Monday show. So that's good to, good to see. And um, yeah, but we'll get back to the St. Mirren game. So Shane, what's your expected starting lineup? Uh, staying back four as usual. Uh, so Hart and goals, uh, Taylor, Starfelt, Carter Vickers, Johnston, Jeez, there's a lot I could say about Johnston, but uh, what a performance he had against uh, Rangers. Anyway, I digress. He was tremendous. Um, midfield, uh, I'm just trying to think if we can if we're going to actually run with some changes or not. I definitely think we'll have a few up front, but in midfield, look, maybe Moy gets a bit of a break, a bit of a rest after the Cup final, so O'Reilly comes in. Um, I think Atate and McGregor stay. Uh, and up front on the left, I've got Haksabanovich coming in for a start. Um, he's definitely shown enough that he should get um, the first crack. Uh, I reckon O leads the line. Um, just something different. And I'll go Abada on the right. Wow. Pretty much wholesale changes for you, Shane. Yeah. For a week. Um, a week. A way to see Mirror and Ants doesn't normally change more than probably three players at a time. And you've just gone and dropped about six changes. Remember, he did it earlier in the season. It's time to it's time to correct that mistake. <laughs> so, are we going to be at St Mirren again away, wearing grey tops with a bunch of changes like last time? And what happened? Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to wear the grey top. That's well, actually, we're going to have to. I don't think we've got any alternatives, do we? No, surely green and white no, doesn't uh, doesn't blend as much. <laughs> No, we can't wear the green and white. With, uh, no, we're no, yeah. black one. No, we can't wear that. Oh no, we're going to have to wear it, aren't we? Yeah, we have to. Because the options are Sean. We've got the green and white, but white shorts, and their home uniform has white shorts. So there's a clash. No, we you're, you're shorts are okay. You're allowed to clash shorts. Okay, well, it's the, sh- the tops you know, and the socks. That are we'll possibly do that then. Go the go the home one. Your away kit, like Shane's wearing the black, and their uniform not going to work. And then we wore the grey with their black and white. Anything you could tell the difference on the on the mm-hmm. tally over oh. was they had red numbers on the back. That was it. That was, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah. but they, they, no, they've got to do it. They've got to put the grey kit on. If they want this to sell, uh, you've got to put in a good performance in it. What we, have... we just did a few years ago, you know, where the, the all green kit with the gold stripes from the cup final last, league cup final last year and bring that back for this game because that could work. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, we did that against Hebs where we wore previous seasons. I'm really just trying to distract from the fact that I forgot this was away. I thought it was at home. So I'm just trying to <laughs> very sheepishly back away from all the changes I made and maybe change the topic a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just save you there, Shane. Uh, it's going to be more than likely the same starting 11. The only potential change for, only potential change for me is Haxabanovich may have earned himself a start uh, because Jota and Maeda were pretty ineffective in an attacking manner. Uh, so Haxabanovich may get a start. Johnny? Uh, yeah, I also agree. Very few changes. <laughs> um, I think 
Substitution maybe... of the bottom left of the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I think O'Reilly probably in for Moy, and I think um, Haxabanovic for Jota, because I agree he's been quite quiet and ineffective. But... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to defend Shane here. It's on the run sheet. Is Celtic listed as the first team, as the home team. So, <laughs> Shane, I got I, your back. Yeah, I'm just going to step in. If for those who watched last week's podcast, I did say Lundstrom would get the first yellow, so I'm on a roll here, <laughs> Sean. If I tell you to cash out, back me in. Okay. <laughs> I followed your advice last time, and it was sound. <laughs> yeah, for me, I'm looking at it going. I think the only two changes we'll probably see will be. Does Ralston come in and give Johnson a game off? And does Haxabanovich come off and give Maeda a game off? Because they're going to sit deep. So I don't think we're really going to need the directness that Maeda brings out on the left. I think have Jodder on the right, Haxabanovich on the left, with their trickery, able to get him behind, beat a man, get behind, and look to get the ball in. I think that's what we're going to need a bit more of. But, yeah, I think Ralston's probably the guy for me that I wouldn't mind seeing him get a run soon. So, um, yeah, that's any changes I'd make. And uh, Shane, who's going to be the first scorer and what's your score prediction? Haxabanovich, first scorer, and uh, I'm going to say 3-0. 3-0 to Celtic. Sean? Kyogo, 4-1. Johnny? Uh, I also thought Kyogo. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say three nil. Three nil. I'm gonna go a lazy two nil because they're gonna park the bus and it's gonna be hard to break down. Uh, first goal will be Moy with some sort of howitzer from the car park, and yeah, it's gonna be interesting that game. But I'm saying Aussie Keanu Bacchus is gonna get a red card. Oh wow! In the second. There you go. He's going to go and just clatter someone. <laughs> Western Sydney Wanderers player. Wait for Stephen, you know, who hosts the Tuesday pod to uh, comment on that. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, good fun. All right. So what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll leave the pod there. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed all three podcasts this week. Uh, make, if you haven't done so, make sure you subscribe to the uh, South Down Under podcast on your podcast app, jump onto YouTube, subscribe to the channel there, hit notification bell so when all three of them go live, you can you can watch them all there and join the live chat. Um, yeah, we'll go to our final thoughts. So we'll start with you, Johnny. Okay. Um, mine is music as always. Um, I've uh, listening to heaps of metal this week, so I'm not going to subject anybody to that type of music, but um, I'm off to see a band tomorrow, an Aussie band called Sly Withers. So that'll be my recommendation. So if you like, they're, they're fairly new, actually. I think they've only been around for like two or three years. Um, or at least their first album came out very recently. Um, it's kind of like indie rock, probably the best way, maybe a bit of pop rock, but they're very easy listening. So if you like that type of stuff, um, give them a go. They're from Perth. So... Yeah, give slay with us. Give me a listen. Come on, Johnny. I thought you were going to talk about answering doors, wearing clothes. Ah, uh, honestly, that is that is an unhinged story. And I just, uh, yeah, no squatters who are naked answering doors is not a story that I, I'm going to say over the pod. Maybe, maybe we'll do a Q and A at some point. That's on the Patreon if we ever set yeah. it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's behind the paywall, yeah. The picture's yeah. included. Yeah. Wait, wait, was he, was he like a squatter legally or was he squatting <laughs> yeah. naked? Yeah. That's how I noticed the no clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean, your final thought? Uh, my final thought is my social media following on Twitter is pathetic. So if anyone has a spare couple of minutes, just follow. Hold on, this inversion here at Sean down under on uh, at, with underscores between Sean down and under it's two underscores in between the three words uh, yep. please give me a follow please I might follow you I'll follow you back I promise <laughs> Shane uh, happy St David's Day to all our Welsh boys and girls 
Happy days to you, all you. And my final thought is the NRL Rugby League season is back starting tomorrow night. Go the storm. Get it done, boys. Get it done. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hail, hail, and we'll see you next week. Hail, hail. Hail, hail. Hail, hail. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.